0: This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 88, a talk with ASU's Luminosity Lab about how they use simulation to design their lunar probes and an update on the news and events in the world of ANSYS. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Eric Miller, your host and one of the three owners here at PADT. We're still in strange times. This past Thursday, the CDC announced that fully vaccinated people can pretty much return to normal life with a few exceptions. So we're trying to see how that impacts us here and how it also impacts our customers. But our sales team is very excited to get back out and see those of you who are lucky enough to be a p customer and are vaccinated. At the same time, things are getting more difficult across Asia and not just India. Uh, And even Toronto is experiencing a surge right now. So we send our best wishes and thoughts to everyone. Um, You know, even though things are getting a little bit better here in Arizona, um, it's still a really uh, dangerous place out there. So regardless of where you are in your journey, um, you know, our thoughts are with you. And uh, if we can help in any way, let us know. This is episode 88 of our little podcast. It's been a while since we've checked in on the stats, so let's do that right now. Um, after 87 episodes, uh, and this is, uh, the, the statistics are from Friday, uh, earlier this week, uh, we have had 27,525 downloads. That's about 316 per episode. It's a number we've kind of hovered around for quite some time. 51% of our listeners are in the U.S., um, and so it's the bulk of it, but everybody else is spread around the world. Number two is 9% in Germany, 4% in Canada, the UK has 3%, and France 2%. In India, there's 2% of the downloaders. So, um, and just a ton of other countries where people are listening in from. Our most popular episode is still our interview with Dr. John Swanson, the founder and original author of ANSYS. And uh, do check that out if you haven't heard it before. And our first episode is still number two on that list. So a lot of people checking out the podcast by listening to that, for that first episode. I want to give a big thank you to our regular listeners. You can help us out by subscribing to the podcast through whatever podcasting tool you use. And please let others know about the All Things ANSYS podcast. For our interview today, we have a special set of guests. The ASU Luminosity Lab is an outstanding organization at Arizona State University that does R&D for industry and the government, bringing together students and professors from across the campus. They do some amazing things there. But today, we're going to focus on one particular project for NASA's new Lunar Exploration Program. I'll let our guests, Tyler Smith and Connor Nail, explain about the program and how they use simulation to get where they are today. There's a the little red dot, come on. Team, there it goes. Team's a little slow, so we'll give it a little bit of silence here. I wanna thank everybody for joining us today for another uh, customer interview. I'm very happy to have uh, two guests today from Arizona State University, and I'm gonna let them explain who they are and uh, their journey to, to the world of simulation and then the project that they used Ansys on. Uh, Tyler, why don't you get started?
1: yeah thanks Eric. so my name is Tyler Smith I'm the director of the luminosity lab at Arizona State University um, so luminosity is a um, interdisciplinary research and development lab we work on a lot of different things ranging from uh, robotics and autonomous systems to AI and analytics uh, from uh, military and defense projects to sustainability and energy uh, and medical and consumer, kind of a, a wide range of projects. Um, today, specifically, we're talking about a project um, called VELOS, which is a uh, NASA project that we worked on over the past year. Um, to give a little bit of background mm-hmm. on how I, you know, sort of came into the world of simulation. So I actually, um, in, my, in my undergrad and master's uh, program at ASU, I uh, focused a lot in uh, multi-physics uh, and analysis and actually worked at PADT um as an intern and then transitioned to full-time so i actually got to work uh, with eric quite a bit um before i went back and worked for asu so that was my my background so i have a a deep rooted knowledge in in ansys and using it for a lot of different um use cases and so you know in our day-to-day work at at luminosity you know whenever we have projects that we you know can use simulation on we like to use it Um, and so this was a great example of a project where we use simulation and we'll kind of get into that in a little bit. Um, But I'm gonna let Connor um, also jump in and kind of give a little bit of background.
2: Great. Yeah, so um, my name's Connor. Um, I'm a senior at ASU in uh, mechanical engineering and I just started my masters in robotics and autonomous systems. Um, I started at the Luminosity Lab about a year and a half ago and this was the first project I started working on uh, with Tyler and the rest of the lab. Um, and so I kind of got into simulation uh, a few months before that um, during an internship I had at uh, NXP. And I was designing pressure vessels and such and using simulation on those. Um, and I hadn't used ANSYS before until this project. And Tyler introduced me to that. And uh, I've just been using that a lot ever since. Um, really enjoyed getting to use that. Uh, it's, I find it interesting to be able to like simulate things mechanically.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so. Kind of just started doing that and applying that to Velos and some other projects in the lab.
0: Very cool. And, and I'll interject a little bit here, a little bit off topic, but those of you who are listening that follow our newsletter and other publications that PDD does, the Luminosity Lab, uh, I'll give them a little kudos here, and shout out here. We're very instrumental in the state's response to COVID, especially when it came to PPEs and using 3D printing uh, on PPEs. So I want to thank you guys for, we're going we're gonna to nerd out on ANSYS, but before we do that, I want to thank you guys for the significant contribution you guys made to the effort.
1: Yeah, we're glad we could do whatever we could.
0: Yeah, it was, it was important to have a coordinating group, and you guys did a great job of that. Um, so anyway, let's talk about the project itself. Why, why don't you guys describe what what the project was and what the goals were, and 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 what happened?
1: Yeah, I can I can give a little background, mm-hmm. and then um, let Connor kind of dive in on the simulation piece. So, just to to give some backstory, so NASA is um, the working on the Artemis program, and the Artemis program is the mission to return to the moon. And so um, Apollo was the first mission uh, to the moon, and everyone knows about that. Mm-hmm. And then Artemis is NASA's uh, return to the moon um, with a crewed mission. So they've you know, sent you know, different probes and things like that, and uh, they've sent uh, orbiters and uh, satellites, but this is the first crewed mission back to the moon. Um, it'll be the first mission um, with um, uh, women astronauts on board. Um, and so they're gonna have you know some of the first women on the moon as well. Um, and that's gonna be great. And they named it uh, Artemis because Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo. And so there's a lot of symbolism that NASA uses in their naming convention. And, um, and so when we uh, started this project, this was a competition called the NASA Big Idea Challenge. And so it's part of NASA's mission to go return to the moon and in doing so they've identified a number of different challenges that they know they need to overcome in order to go back and so some of those are related to you know dust mitigation which they found to be a big problem in the Apollo mission um, to extreme environment exploration to uh, power uh, and things like that. And so there's a number of these different challenges and this specific one was related to uh, extreme environment exploration. And so um, our team put together a concept for exploring the site that NASA is gonna be returning to called, uh, which they are titling the permanently shadowed regions. And this is on the South Mm -hmm. Pole of the moon in the craters on the South Pole. There are regions that are permanently shadowed and they're permanently shadowed because you know like like earth how are the poles of earth you the sun doesn't go over directly overhead and so the sun is always on the horizon or below the horizon and in these craters on the south pole there's actually regions that have been permanently shadowed and so they know that um or they expect that there is ice in these uh, regions um, and they want to go explore that region for the purpose of being able to one identify if there is ice there and two if there is ice they can use that to um, Collect and then generate, um, you know, from ice. You can, uh, this is water ice, by the way, they can Mm -hmm. generate water for habitation, but they more importantly, probably they can also generate rocket fuel because they can break it down into hydrogen and oxygen. And so, this is critical for a sustained operation on the moon. And so, to do that, they're going to go on one of the early missions and explore these permanently shadowed regions. And to do that, they need systems that can explore them. And so it's this ex- very extreme environment. It's very, very cold. It's dark because mm-hmm. it's permanently shadowed. So solar power doesn't work there. Um, and so they wanted to. They put this this call out for ideas for how to solve this problem, and that's what our team responded to with a solution for for exploration. And so our concept uh, that the team developed to explore these regions was to launch sensor probes from the lander. So it was given that a lander would be landing within 100 meters of the permanently shadowed region. And our system is designed to launch sensor probes from the lander into the permanently shadowed regions over 100 meters. And so these sensor probes would be able to be launched and then they would wirelessly, uh, they would collect data and then wirelessly transmit that back to the lander. And so this project we uh, called VELOS, which is a Variable Exploratory Lunar Observation System, but it also has a dual meaning uh, like NASA, um, you know, with their Artemis mission. So Mm -hmm. the weapon of Artemis, the the Greek goddess was actually a bow and arrow and VELOS is arrow in Greek. And so our system, which is a projectile, right? We're launching it, um, has, you know, that kind of projectile. Um, you know, behavior much like the weapon of Artemis, and so a lot of cool symbolism. Mm-hmm. Our team came up with that name, and we're, we're pretty excited about it. Um, and so we submitted to that um, that call for proposals, and our team was selected, awarded the funding uh, to develop it. And so over the past year, basically over 2020 or over quarantine, mm-hmm. um, our team developed it. And so, um, so you know, when we first submitted that. Um, we actually did preliminary simulation. So we did a ANSYS thermal analysis um, to, because we knew that these extreme cold environments, thermal analysis was going to be very critical. Um, this is one of the coldest places actually in our solar system so the temperatures in the permanently shadowed region is around 35 kelvin uh, wow. which wow. is actually colder than the surface of pluto and so it's extremely cold there um, and so we knew that this was going to be critical so when we did the when before we actually won the proposal we did preliminary simulation put that into our proposal they really liked the 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 work that we did prior to the actually you know even you know winning the, the award um, and we did that in order to um, demonstrate the capability to analyze the the probes that would be going into this region. Um, and then once uh, you know we got into the project, we won the we won the project and we got into working on it. about two months into it, that's when everything shut down, went into you know quarantine. Um, and at that point, you know we were already intending on using a lot of simulation, but at that point our our team really doubled down on the simulation that we were using, because we knew that we would have less access to testing, less access to labs, um, facilities were being closed down that we were planning on using, um, all that kind of thing. And so we really doubled down on what we were simulating. And so um, I'll let Connor talk a little bit about that in more detail.
0: Very cool. Um, yeah, please please let us know wh- where, where simulation played a role in all this and uh, how it helped you, because yeah. uh, you couldn't do physical uh, testing, especially. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we did uh, quite a few different types of uh, simulation. The biggest one, like I was saying, was thermal because of uh, just making sure that our probes could survive. Like it was very critical that they could survive a long enough time to be able to transfer um, whatever data we collected back. And so we had to validate that. And so we did that with thermal simulation, and we did that to iterate our di- like both for designing and for verifying. Like we did many different iterations on the probes. Um, I remember mean, even at one point we had the electronics suspended on like cables and like different things like that just to mm-hmm. any way we could isolate it um, just to make sure that heat stayed inside long enough. Um, and it was also really helpful for validating. We we were able to get into a um, towards the end a testing facility to get um, test our prototype that we had built mm-hmm. and. Honestly, I, one of my favorite parts was seeing that, that data we collected on that physical prototype and that testing, mm-hmm. seeing that data come back and then comparing that to the model mm-hmm. and watching like how accurate it was to it. Um, and that was super helpful as well because we were able to take that validated model and extrapolate then expand that to what it would be like in a more accurate like, environment, closer to the permanently shadowed regions. So much colder um, and under complete vacuum. Um, so that was kind of like the main like that was one of the biggest applications of um the simulations we did was the thermal aspect of it, and we did that as well um on the um, what's it called the launcher the system that would mm-hmm. launch the probe um but then like the bigger aspect of the launcher was the structural side of it, mm-hmm. and so that we had to make sure that that would be a couple things that it wouldn't um impart too much of um an impulse on the lander itself. Like there could be other equipment on there that requires like stability and stuff like that. So, it was simulation, we were able to test that without having to, um, you know, set up any fancy equipment or anything for our physical prototypes. It made it much easier um, to really determine that we would be within those uh, limitations that the landers would have. Um, and then, as well, the launch from Earth, because um, during that launch, there's lots of vibrations, right? And the whole system's going to undergo. Quite the uh, the ride, mm-hmm. um, and so we were able to simulate that simulate that through a random vibration analysis, um, and so that was also really eye opening. We were able to identify actually um, some parts of the design that we thought would be fine, but then after doing the simulation, uh, we identified a few parts that we we're going to have to uh, beef up a little bit because they were um, bending or, some, or mm-hmm. such. It would, or at least they would, under that um, experience as it launched in the rocket, and then. The other, one. the other one we did that was also a big one was the uh drop testing um mm. the probes so since we made the, we made a prototype or so but because of time constraints and also how expensive the prototypes were to make, it was much more realistic to be able to do the simulation mm-hmm. and validate once or twice and so we did that and it was also um, great because we were able to do it on a uh, worst case scenario and then even test in like um simulate like regolith or something close to mm-hmm. it and what it would be like if it was impacting that um, and yeah, and then just doing that, we were able to see like how the electronics in- inside the electronics are basically inside a casing and then inside of a, um, a foam. And we were able to see like how the uh, vibrations would affect it, um, if the like the stresses would be on it, all that, um, and then also just verify that the electronics aren't gonna like shear off the board or anything like that on impact um, mm-hmm. under the worst case scenario. So all that really like helped us to really solidify our design and like get at least maybe not like flight ready but at least get us to the point where we're like we're ready to test this we believe once we make this prototype like this will work um and this will work so that was perfect super helpful
0: Well, in in a year you did what 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 most people do in like 10 years that's amazing the amount of uh work you guys did that's that's great um uh, and, and such a, I, one of the things that was a surprise to me is how cold it is. I didn't realize it was that cold. So, yeah, that's that's extreme thermal gradients, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so, so, you know, you you're, you were new to ANSYS. Tyler, of course, is an old hand at it. But um, when you were learning the tool, was there anything that was kind of a big surprise to you um, that, that you kind of didn't expect in the simulation process, either a result or a process or anything like that?
2: Um, I would say I think just really in general like the process of like I hadn't really done any like design work alongside simulation before Mm -hmm. and I thought that was super interesting just having like like we don't have to build this and test it kind of thing like we don't have to like um, hope this is going to work build it and of course go back to the drawing board do it again Mm -hmm. I thought that was super cool that we could like cat up some model take that throw it in there you know drop it a few times run it through Mm -hmm. thermal simulation see how it goes um and then, hey, this didn't work so well, this didn't work so well. We can go back, tweak that, maybe add some more insulation here, or a better conduction path or something like that um, to make sure that it, it'll do that without having to actually make the physical model. I thought that was super useful and
0: definitely a good application. Good. Good, good, good. How about you, Tyler? Any any surprises in the process, anything you guys discovered that you didn't expect?
1: Um, hmm. y- y- one of the... the- Biggest surprises. I don't know about surprise. Maybe challenge. It was kind mm-hmm. of surprise too. Was how little information is actually known about some of these regions. So mm. you, you know, like what the boundary conditions are, for example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that the temperature, um, for the most part, I mean, it's you know generally known, but um, there's there's not a lot of detail about what the the regolith or the the um, the soil is mm-hmm. like on the moon. And when we asked, um, you know, they have samples from the Apollo missions, but those are from a totally different region of the moon. And so, and really no one knows. We talked to people at, at NASA and there's experts in this and they have, you know, they have good ideas and they, or they've got, you know, um, they have, uh, you know, research and things like that. But at the end of the day, really no one knows until they go there and collect samples and bring it back. And so that was one of the biggest things because, you know, with a simulation, you need to have good inputs um, in order to simulate it. And so, you know, we had to do a lot of research and we had to do a lot of, um, you know, making engineering, you know, judgment, you know, choices, talking to experts and, you know, looking at what other people do. Um, so there was a quite a bit of that um, with some of the, you know, boundary conditions um, and that's not something you know, we expected.
0: Yeah, that that is that is a really good point. I I didn't. I mean, it's one of those things when you point it out, it's kind of obvious because nobody's been there, but I never thought about it before. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to learn a lot um, over the over the course of these Artemis missions um, and very, very cool that you guys were able to to be a part of it. Um, I do want to come back and ask what's next in the project, but before I do that, um, the, one of the things that the, the, an opportunity for you as users, um, many of the developers uh, do listen to this podcast. So, you know, having used this on a real real world project and, and under crunch and everything, um, is, is there any uh, asks you have for software development at Ansys that uh, can make your job better and easier?
2: I don't know, Connor, do you have any ideas? Um, I mean, I'm not there's still, I feel like there's still a lot I have to learn in ANSYS in general, but okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they have it or not, but a uh, version
0: control system
2: would be pretty
0: pretty helpful for, I would. for for your different models.
2: Yeah, like as you go through revisions and such. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that would be a pretty
0: uh, pretty helpful resource. Yeah, so we we're we're All working on that. People. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely have a tool coming up for that. Um, we should we should show it to you guys. Um, it's a it's a pretty powerful, uh, based on an open source tool, and uh, it uh, we're we're just learning it ourselves and applying it with a couple of our customers, and we're finding that it's pretty good. So, yeah, we should definitely definitely share that with you guys. Um, Good, good to know. It's it is important when you're, especially when you're doing all these iterations. Um, so yeah, my, my next question really is, is more about the project again. So, you guys g- got uh, your preliminary work done. What's what's the next step on the project?
1: So the way that these projects work is, you know, NASA has kind of this these roadmaps and and mm-hmm. the they kind of follow the advancement of the technology readiness level or TRL. So mm-hmm. they have like early TRL. Um, funding, they've got, you know, mid, you know, late, and so what what they kind of intend for you to do is when you, you know, win one of these, you know, it's for a certain, you're developing the technology from, let's say, TRL two to four, and then they expect you to then submit it to go from, you know, four to six or something like that. So ours, we went from, you know, basically concept to which mm-hmm. would be like two to four or, and we were close to five, but we didn't mm-hmm. get to five yet. Um, and so the next goal, the next goal would be to submit uh, the concept for follow-on uh, funding opportunities that would allow the technology to be, you know, further developed, and that would be, you know, at ASU or with partners in the commercial space industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, however that would work, um, we would follow on and submit. So as they get closer to the Artemis mission, they're trying to develop these technologies. So that's what we're doing right now. We're looking and identifying different. Um, calls to submit to for the project and and at the same time we are continuing uh development kind of preparing it to go to trl5 um and so doing things like connor mentioned you know we found some systems that need to be you know um improved uh from the testing you know we know there's certain things that we need to improve um and so the goal is to make those updates so that we're ready to advance it uh, when the opportunity arises so that's really the next step very cool. Yeah,
0: that's exciting. And what's the time frame on this? When when's the first? I should know this. When's the when they expect to do the first Artemis launch? I think you know they just
1: pushed it back. I think this mm-hmm. year, because of COVID. But mm-hmm. I want to say I'm kind of guessing. To I don't think you could probably just Google this and see. It, I think it's 2023, maybe <laughs> oh, or 20. Oh, yeah. soon. Soon. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the, okay. the first one will go pretty soon. Nice. Um, and that'll be a that'll be a, an autonomous mission. It will mm-hmm. it will not have crew in that mission, um, and so those those missions will go first, um, and then followed by the the crewed mission mm-hmm. at some point. So,
0: very cool. That's exciting. I hope I hope you guys get an opportunity to to fly on it and, and do more simulation. Um, I I really appreciate it. it's been really interesting and we'll make sure that we put in the show notes. Um, you guys gave a really nice presentation at the Simulation World, so we'll definitely make sure there's a link to that so you can you can see for yourself what uh, listeners can see for themselves what these guys did. And uh, also, if you just if you just Google um, uh, ASU and uh, do you guys have a do you have a website? that we can link to.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the Luminosity lab. OK. Doc, OK, I
0: think that. yeah, We'll we'll put in the notes, yeah. so um, we'll, we'll make sure we we provide some looks there. Um, and then uh, then then just see what happens. Um, I, I, I'm excited uh, to, that you guys get an opportunity to do this and, and learn so much, and, and I really appreciate you guys sharing it with us. Uh, so it's, it's a great example of uh, simulation driven design in a pretty challenging environment, so.
2: Yeah,
1: well, we appreciate you uh, having us on the podcast. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've gotten to do the Ansys Simulation World, um, and then this, and it's been great. So it's
0: been a great experience. Yeah, we we, we love these great projects that you can talk about. This is the best part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: not, not uh, classified. So yeah.
0: Well, you guys enjoy your summer, and uh, we hope to hope to have you on again when you get to the next phase. Sounds great. Thanks, Thanks guys. We'll talk to All you right. Right. soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Doesn't that sound like a cool program? Uh, I was really excited to learn more about it. And uh, if you check out their presentation uh, at simulationworld.com um, as well as uh, check out the, uh, it's called the one word, dot com, um, slash projects you'll be able to see uh, actual pictures of the product. So do check that out and see the other things they're working on at the ASU Luminosity Lab. Great group of people and uh, doing some pretty incredible stuff. So based on today's topic for our commercial, I think it's a good time to discuss the ANSYS Academic and Startup programs. ANSYS Academic software is available to teachers to incorporate into their curricula, students to utilize for assignments, and researchers to advance their projects. It includes free student software packages, as well as more capable tools for classrooms and R&D. If you think you need to use dumb-down CAD-based tools or open-source Kluge software, you don't. You can use ANSYS. If your school doesn't have an ANSYS academic agreement, have them reach out to their local ANSYS reseller or search for the ANSYS academic program on the ANSYS website. And if you're a startup or know a startup, you should definitely check out the ANSYS startup program. If you qualify, you can get access to the full ANSYS set of products at a price that basically you can afford. And that price is based on where you are in your funding and revenue journey. And if you're in the Southwest, anywhere between, including Texas uh, and all of California. So between those two states and including those two states, please reach out to PADT. If you join the startup program through us, you'll get access to our expert engineers, many of whom are on this uh, podcast regularly. Uh, We do great co-marketing, and our producer, Trevor Rubinoff, is the person that coordinates that. And if you've ever seen some of the case studies we've done with some startups, that's the kind of thing you can expect from us. And you also get access to our expertise in startups. Um, I myself spent a lot of time doing mentoring and um, helping with um, the local startup community here in Phoenix as well as in some neighboring states. So um, we have a lot more to offer than other people when it comes to helping startups out. So again, if you're interested in either of those programs, please do reach out. They're fantastic and a great way to get access to ANSYS software. In the world of news, let's start with the ANSYS stock. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, May 16th, and uh, Friday, the ANSYS stock closed at 325.47. So it's been languishing quite a bit since February. Well, I shouldn't say quite a bit. I don't know what quite a bit is, but it's down since uh, up it's all-time peak in February. Um, and uh, since our last episode, they did release their numbers for Q1 and had their investor call. So as usual, I'll give the generally accepted accounting principles, or GAAP numbers, or gap numbers. If you want the non-gap numbers, if you actually know the difference and care, please visit um, the investors.ansys.com site. There's all sorts of details and numbers there. Of course, anybody can visit that to get more details than what I'm presenting today. In the first quarter, revenue was $363.2 million, and that's a 19% growth versus last year. The profit margin on that was 13.8%, which is up from 11.2% for Q1 of last year. The annual contract value booked was $319 million, and their deferred revenue and backlog was an amazingly high $936.5 million dollars. Uh, Cash at the company is at 987.89 million dollars. So we can just call it 988 million dollars. Yes, that's close to a billion dollars in cash. This is a 75 million dollar increase from last time, from this time last year. So even through all of the pandemic, they've actually grown their cash reserves a smidge. Long term debt is is about where it was. It's down slightly a couple million. I think it was like five million um, bucks from Q1 last year at seven hundred ninety four million dollars. Um, and, uh, I suspect that the lower profit margin, and I, again, I don't know much about stocks and I don't understand why they do what they do, but the one thing that has changed is that the profit margin is now at three, 13.8%. And that is, uh, low compared to the historic level that Ansys has had. So who knows if that's why they're doing it, or if it's just that they all got on some Reddit feed and somebody said, don't buy Ansys, who knows? Um, I have no idea, but, um, again, the company is very healthy, doing very well. Uh, regardless of where the stock price is, and uh, you know, lots of cash, and uh, we hope to see some more new tools and maybe an acquisition or two in 2021. We'll see what the what the year brings. As we're okay. one quarter of the way through it. Uh, In ANSYS News, uh, there really is no ANSYS News to report other than that financial report. Um, We do have some PADT news to share. This past week we announced that we are now a member of what is called the Hands-On Metrology family. This is a new product line for optical scanning brought out by the merger of Zeiss and GOM. Um, And it basically allows us to combine those two very strong optical scanning tool sets uh, into one product offering. So if you have any interest in adding handheld blue light or laser scanning as well as optical cmm reach out and we would love to talk to you about it Uh, as you would expect you know we know a lot about doing scanning and inspecting and reverse engineering and all that uh, manufacturing and cad type stuff but in addition with padt you also get the ability uh, a group of people that really understand how to connect scanning and simulation so an added bonus there for those of you that are in the world of simulation Publication-wise, in the ANSYS blog, I only found one that I really liked um, that I'm worth sharing uh, right now. It's called Motorizing the Bike You Love with Bimodal and ANSYS Simulation. And it's about using ANSYS um, to design a motor that turns any bike into an e-bike, which I think is really a cool idea. Um, I guess you you attach it to the disc brakes, or you put a disc brake on it and you put a little motor on the disc brake. You have to check out the article uh, if that's of interest to you, and, and of course uh, for those that do simulation it's even more interesting because they talk about how they use um, MotorCAD to design that. So pretty cool stuff. On the PADT blog, we had two articles go out since our last recording. The first is a comparison of ANSYS Fluent Meshing and ANSYS Meshing for CFD by Daniel Chaparro. So, um, and it's just what the title says. He he had a bunch of questions from people over and over again about, you know, what's the difference between ANSYS Fluent Meshing and the meshing in uh, ANSYS um, uh, Meshing for CFD? So he went through and and showed it. (laughs) He wrote a really nice article that compares the two, strengths, weaknesses, uh, different features. It's very comprehensive and a good tool for anybody doing CFD meshing. A uh, good article for anybody doing CFD meshing. And then Joe Woodward also contributed a post called Ansys Mechanical Selection Information, even more useful than they thought. And it takes a deeper dive uh, and and looks at some of the useful tools in the selection information window. So this is a, a tool that allows you to create uh, selection logic to, to break apart your model. And um, it does a lot more than just that. And he basically shares some of those things that it does. So check out both of those blog posts. In the uh, world of upcoming events, we do have our next webinar on May 19th. It's Signal and Power Integrity Updates in ANSYS 2021 R1. And as always, visit padtinc.com slash events or go to brighttalk.com and search for padt to find upcoming and past webinars. Um, And that's pretty much it for events right now. Uh, We are looking at scheduling. In fact, we picked a date for our annual open house, which we had to cancel last year. Um, Actually, we had to cancel two open houses. We usually do one for families, and then we do one for customers at the end of the year, families in the spring. Uh, And um, we canceled both of those last year, as you would expect. Um, And we plan on having a significantly large uh, open house. Uh, It's called Nerdtoberfest. We've done it for a couple years now. It's in October. And uh, we're just in the planning stages, but uh, we picked a a time and a date for that. And look for uh, a newsletter or this podcast to learn more if you're anywhere nearby. And we look forward to seeing those of you who can make it uh, in person. So it's a long ways away, and we hope that things will be safe enough by then to have a big open house. That's pretty much it. So I want to thank everybody for listening once again. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter where you can find out more information at www.pattinc.com slash opt-in. And please spread the word about the podcast. And as always, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for the All Things Answers podcast, episode 88. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS Inc. And the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com blog. And please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.